You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. Due to technical issues with the microphone, this recording does not sound as good as it normally does. The first reading this morning was written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I discovered that my obsession for having each thing in the right place, each subject at the right time, each word in the right style, was not the well-deserved reward of an order mind, but just the opposite, a complete <coughs> a complete system of pretense invented by me to hide the disorder of my nature. The second reading, Charles Proctus Brown, Somnambulism and Other Stories. All men are at times influenced by inexplicable sentiments Ideas haunt them in spite of all their efforts to discard them. Preconcessions are entertained, for which their reason is unable to discover any adequate cause. The strength of a belief, when it is destitute of any rational foundation, seems of itself to furnish a new ground for credulity. We must we first admit a powerful persuasion, and then, from reflecting on the insufficiency of the ground on which it is built, instead of being prompted to dismiss it, we become more forcibly attached to it. Offer dismissal for the journey. One of the things that I did in preparation for the and her wonder conference in Edmonton was published another uh, book of my prayers, a poem was on the first one, and um, that's on justice, and uh, it's going to make its um, premiere at the um, progressive dinner. So, progressive dinner, you get have quick look at it. The challenge to me is that I printed out a bunch of um, proofs that I was working to get together. And this morning when I printed out the things that I needed for today, I didn't realize that I had the paper in upside down. And so this tiny little print here is what I'm going to try to read you, and it's written on top of this really big thing. That will work on it. Our easy gods. I never saw the God I loved, never needed any proof of its existence. I never worried through its truths, nor scanned the horizons, hoping it back into my heart. I never cast my eyes toward its home, did obeisance on my knees to claim its succor. I never offered up the incense required by the deities. 
handle the fervent spoken wish. I never longed for presence nor prayed for miracles to soothe mine or any other heart. I never felt its absence in my most difficult hours in the long and darkest wrestlings of my soul. And yet, my life is guided by the gods I set within me, beliefs embedded in my heart and written deep upon my world. They tell me when I'm right, point out the others with whom I differ. My gods lift up a window through which I see my world and build the walls that blind me to all I would not see. These are the easy gods, the ones I've chosen. They keep the colors of my life bright and clean and oh so right for me, for now, for what it is I want. They won't go down by exorcism, but by the Herculean strength it takes to open up my eyes. Of 
what is good and what is bad, and we live our lives in the midst of them, or in between them, or tumble completely into one or the other and cannot see our way forward. And so in that way, they kind of take control of our minds and shift it, shift them to see only what it is that we want to see, whether it's that the world is beautiful and everything is evolving as it should, or the world is a terrifying and frightening place, and we must do everything we can to withstand it. Which is why I chose the words from Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, to share with you this morning, which ties itself up beautifully by saying, all of this stuff in my head, that all these things that I did in certain ways, all of the way that I lead my life and what I put around me, um, is a complete system of pretense invented by me to hide the disorder of my nature. That we create the worlds around us, we create our easy gods and put them in place so that we can live in the comfort of our own illusions. Now, Gabriel uh, Garcia Marquez is a novelist, and uh, novels are often where we get the indication to actually see something other than the way we see our world. An extremely good novelist will explore the full range of human norms and abnorms, if there's such a word, uh, relationships, whether our relationships are good or bad, whether the world is functioning or not functioning, whether we are contributing or whether we are simply sucking life out of something. All of this is outlined in the novels that we read, particularly those that challenge us to think about the world uh, and to join a side in that conversation, to join either the protagonist or the group that, that the protagonist is against. I read 1984 when I was in grade five, which was probably too young uh, to read that book. But some of the horrific elements of it have stayed with me uh, visually and viscerally uh, as I walked that, that world that had come to this incredible place of uh, totalitarianism. And, and the way they got there, and the things that people actually believed, because belief was not something that you could really toy with. It wasn't silly, honey. A belief was something that was out there, that was, you know, everything was this way, and you got to get even. And when I read Orwell's 1984, it was kind of like, oh my goodness, you can be made to believe things that maybe aren't even right, uh, and, and fall for it. Like, you can get caught up in that total story and live your life according to it. I'm glad that I didn't read Brave New World um, at that point because I think I might have been permanently damaged. But the thing about those stories and, and long ones back further are that they do place before us ideas that haven't ever occurred to us. And they, they pop from the page with all of their uh, energy and ferocity if you're willing to see them. Long before uh, George Orwell wrote 1984, Jane Austen was writing dangerous fiction, uh, which back at the end of the 18th century uh, used irony and conversation and humor and all of that to lift up the fact that women were really oppressed. Right? Um, the fact that that continues today, maybe not in the same kind of way that Jane Austen portrayed it, but that women still make 
a significant less amount of money than, than men do. And Austin's point was that they were entirely dependent upon a marriage for their uh, financial support. Um, she put that out in these incredible novels that would have been read with relish by the women at the time and disregarded or put down by those whose understanding of the world was being shifted as a result. We all know, too, about Charles Dickens and what he did to portray what England uh, in the Victorian age was like. The, the horrific uh, debtor's prison in which his family was committed and he had to work in a factory in order to pay back the debt that would allow them to go free. Again, his work was celebrated by a segment of society and derided by those in power. Aldous Huxley, actually, he wrote in between the wars, uh, the First World War and the Second World War, and he picked up um, the fervor that everyone was uh, excited about in terms of science and what science brought for us, and brought out this novel that extrapolated this caricature of science and technology um, based mostly on Henry Ford's production line, which he saw could be manipulated to make all of us these producers of things that we would need, that would, and if we didn't buy them, the whole world would collapse. Sometimes I think we're a little closer to the new world, I think someone wrote about that, than we are to 1984, which many people uh, suggest is a reflection of our current times. And why is it that Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, written in 1985, didn't come to prominence until the last few years? Is it not because, just like these other novels that were written centuries before, some of them, that the time was not ready to hear the story that she had to tell? The time was not ready to be told that these things are bad. These things are a challenge. These things need to be objected to. She's still dangerous, very dangerous, um, because we can see ourselves in that novel and we can take a side. And when a novel gets an entire generation to take a side, then a side that is wreaking havoc or destruction will have to deal with a mob of people who now no longer accept their quiet oppression. One of the symbols of the handmaid's tale that I found um, so chilling uh, was when, I don't think it was this last Christmas, but maybe it was, when Melania Trump uh, lined the halls of the White House with bright red Christmas trees, and someone photoshopped it and put the white uh, bonnets of the handmaids on all of the Christmas trees with Melania walking down on some of her and it was quite a cheeky little take on it. But that it has hit mainstream, uh, this story that you see at protests by Extinction Rebellion or protests about the climate, you see people dressed up as handmaids, 
uh, and, and other characters in the story, shaping us so that they'll see the truth of what was written into that novel so long ago. I haven't read every novel in the world, so I just put down I just want, do any of you, have any of you read novels recently that shaped that perception or that you put down because it was too challenging to read the truths that were written between the lines or bold faced on the page? Jim? 
So it sounds good. Online, authoritarians, the authoritarians, Bob Altemeyer, online PDF form doesn't cost anything, and you're also provided an opportunity to get rated on how uh, how easily you will succumb to an authoritarian. Yes. Yeah, we can. that would be nice. We'll divide the space up by those most likely to get. Okay. Donna, do you want to I read Gandalf's books. Yeah, Gandalf's books are very insightful. Well, I'm reading one called Kingdom Keepers right now. It's a series of books. Um, and it's a group of five kids that have been put together to say, well, they're capable of doing what? It's the, the power of the. AI, artificial intelligence, how many like, and five kids with varying, um, varying backgrounds are being pulled together to initial to the young artists, which is important. Yes. Okay, so it's a young adult book. Can you say the name? Kingdom Keep. Keepers about children who are being brought together in order to uh, make their own power work uh, properly against the formidable. AI, artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of books out there. And we can think also of some of the um, some of the movies and things that we have. But I'm going to move right now um, into the idea that the, the second reading, um, Charles Brockton Brown, who um, said the strength of a belief when it is destitute of any rational foundation. So in other words, it makes absolutely no sense seems of itself to furnish a new ground for credulity. So we, even if it doesn't make sense, we can, we can give it that credulity ourselves. Um, we first admit a powerful persuasion, and then, from reflecting on the insufficiency of the ground on which it is built, instead of being promoted to dismiss it, we become more forcibly attached to it. And there's a a local um, professor at a university here who has become a world sensation, uh, built on his books and uh, the things that he said, any of which could go into one of those online uh, websites where you put a sentence from a book, or you put the person's name and then you hit, hit a button and, they, and it randomly comes up with words and creates a sentence that, you know, doesn't mean anything, but it sounds so profound. Because it's smarter than you are, right? So you think that it really is nonsensical. So, our delusions, when we live in systems that present a certain way of seeing the world, and we have grown up in that, or we have accommodated ourselves to that, those delusions become our gods. They, um, they, under, they give us a solid foundation upon which we can keep all of our prejudices, all of the things that we want to keep sacred. Uh, it can help us dismiss what other things. What other people think are important, uh, what ground them or they would call, you know, the substance for their lives, they can say they have no value, no worth, because the worldview that we hold, we don't need gods to give us a worldview. We can create our own worldview, and then that worldview can become like gods. So I wanted to go, uh, when I was thinking about that today, um, I wanted to go not just to the novels, but to talk about some of the other dystopian things that are more current, um, that are projecting for us a vision of the world as it is right now in so many places by projecting it into the future and telling us how it might look if we carry on on this road. So one of the ones, um, The Hunger Games, 
books, uh, which are about famine, um, some, some who are projecting what's going to happen in terms of the planetary crisis of climate warming is that there will be massive uh, starvation will hit so many different places in the world that we will simply be unable to feed people and that they will die. So the 100 days is based on famine and the fact that you have to risk your life in order to get food for your family for a particular length of time. And then you're back into that same thing. So no family gets to eat all the time, get all the food they want. It only happens in cycle. Um, the matrix which has all of us just being used as our neural energy being used to keep alive uh, an entirely different system. And we were just living in a dreamland, completely unaware of what was going on, but we liked it. And so uh, when offered the red pill or the blue pill, you know, you could actually go back and just live like that, and it would be so much easier than facing the truth of what the world was really like. And don't we just don't we do that already? Don't we, you know, put ourselves in the little pause of our own secure existence and curl up there in fetal position and live on the dreams that we have for ourselves and for our family and, you know, all of that? Well, it's going to happen anyway, right? Uh, the Matrix, that is what the Matrix, Children of Men, um, the storyline of Children of Men, have you guys seen Children of Men? Oh my goodness gracious. So you have to see children and men. Um, it's, uh, I can't remember who the author's story was. Um, it's left me. But the book is about how we, in our attempts to address some, you know, growing viral threat or bacteria, we come up with an antidote to it, and it makes all of us unable to have children. So no woman can conceive because of our scientific pursuit of a cure, we ended uh, humanity, which may be seen as a cure for the planet. So it is a story about how um, we are all the same age. Um, there are no children in our world, and how the world might find their way forward, and how threatening it is um, if the thought of another child uh, being born can be. And then Elysium, which is, which is a powerful movie, which projects above the earth a space station upon which the wealthy live in incredible luxury. Uh, if someone gets sick, they can lie down on a bed, a machine goes over them, scans them, finds out what's wrong, scans them again, I think once, and come on, they're healed, right? Totally healed. Everything is beautiful uh, on, that, on that space station. Down on earth, of course, the populations left behind are struggling with water and having no food and violence being perpetrated as people try to get those things. But the, thing, the interesting thing about the movie is that the, the, the script writer, Cameron Newman, um, was in Mexico and got in a cab. And that cab took him on a ridiculously long ride uh, trying to extort money from him and his companion. And they kept saying they weren't going to give him any money, they weren't going to give him any money. And eventually, they found they needed to give him money because they didn't know what was going to happen. So their cab driver took the money, kicked them out of the cab, and then took off. And they found themselves in a community unlike anything they had ever seen 
where poverty was absolutely the norm, where violence was but a blink away, where illness uh, went unchecked because there was no medical uh, anything to happen. So, so when he created the movie, he wanted to make a movie that might make that difference, the, the gap between rich and poor, literal to people. And he did that uh, with the movie Elysium. And all of those can help us explore our attitude towards others. And here's where I can bring that get to Thanksgiving in. Because we get to Thanksgiving so easily. It's not hard for us to figure out the things that we're grateful for. I write in a gratitude journal three things for which I am grateful every day. I know sometimes I repeat them, but it's a new list all the time. I, last week, I put down grateful for shingles and flu vaccinations. The next day, I wrote down not so thankful for the shingles <laughs> and flu vaccinations. <laughs> but I write down something every day for the gift of someone's story that helps you understand your world and their life a little better. For the gift of beauty on a day that you didn't expect anything but challenge or, or sadness or loss. Uh, for the gift of a, a friend who calls in the midst of your own challenges and doesn't know about them, but simply talking to them makes the world a better place. We have so many things that we can be thankful for. And they just, they can flow, once you get into it, they can just flow out of mind so easily. But one of the things that we have to express our gratitude for, and yet which holds us and convicts us, is that those things that for which we express gratitude are not accessible by so many people in the world. Clean water is still one of the most challenging realities uh, for whole populations, whole countries. Uh, light, after the sun disappears, is, is not accessible to so many people. Light, even in the spaces where people prepare their food, uh, in huts and in unlit houses, is a challenge. Um, there are so many things that we take for granted for which we don't even bother saying thank you or expressing gratitude because they're just so normal and it doesn't occur to us that they're not somewhere else. So this weekend when you gather with family and friends or spend the time just uh, by yourself, I invite you to be grateful for everything that we have. Remember the subject of Jim's book, the indigenous, the indigenous nations uh, that were vibrant and filled this land before we got here. For the medication that we can take in acknowledging that there are so many that don't have it, that we might make it available. For the potable water, even in this country, which is not accessible to indigenous communities. All, every gratitude that we have has another side to it. And so rather than just getting cut back about how lucky we are, perhaps I just want you to think about how extraordinary 
our privilege is, and so too about how to shift and change those things in the world that allow our privilege to succeed in the manner that it does. It's going to be an interesting week for Canada. And I think that having Thanksgiving right before an election is maybe a really good thing. And so I invite you to bring your understanding of the political challenges we face into your Thanksgiving conversations. Um, don't shut them out because people don't agree with you or because you don't agree with someone else. Have those conversations and invite the people with you to see the other side as well. Invite them to do their Thanksgiving with honor and with respect and with knowledge of what that Thanksgiving means and what it could bear for others.
forward slash donate.